In this episode of 9-2-Y Talks, the creative team behind Apple TV Plus's Little America, including Emmy-nominated Lee Eisenberg, Kumail Nanjiani, Emily V. Gordon, Joshua Behrman, and Alan Yang, discussed the show with Lola Oganake. The anthology series was inspired by true stories of immigrants in America that were first published in Epic Magazine. The conversation was recorded on February 6th, 2020, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Hi, everyone. Very dramatic. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, everyone. How are you? Well, what'd you think of the episode? Amazing, right? Yeah. All right. Let's get this party started. Uh, Lee Eisenberg to my left. Kamel Nanjiani. Yes. Emily Gordon. Alan Yang. And Joshua Behrman. Welcome to the stage, gang. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank thanks you. for having us. So as you know, I'm a huge fan of the series. I can't stop raving about it. And I really want to dive into this episode because it was so fully realized, so beautifully done. And there's tons to unpack. But before we dive in, Lee, let's start with you. I want to talk about how this entire series came to be. Why an anthology series about the immigrant experience and why now? Okay. Um, in one minute or less. <laughs> Go. I, I was, this was, I guess it was about three years ago, and I was sitting in my office staring at a wall trying to figure out what to do next and trying to think about what I was watching on TV that I loved and what I was excited about writing next. And I started thinking about, uh, there was an episode of Master of None. Uh, yes, Woo! Alan, co-creator of Master of None. And there was an episode uh, called Parents in the first season that was getting all this attention, and it was about the experience of, uh, of immigrants coming to this country and also the relationship with their children and the children not quite understanding what their parents had gone through. And my father is Israeli, and I was thinking a lot about my relationship with him and the stories that he would tell when he first came to this country. And I started thinking, well, could there just be a show where every episode felt like Parents? And could I not do it at Netflix? And could I create it instead of Alan creating it? Um, and uh, so I really, that's all I had. And so I, I went to Josh, uh, who has a company called Epic Magazine. And we've been friends for a really long time. And I just said, I want to do an anthology series about immigrants. And I want them to be based on true stories. Would you like to help? And he immediately jumped on it and said, what if we did first person photo essays? And so then for the next six months or so, uh, the researchers and journalists at Epic just started collecting all these stories, and it was friends of friends and relatives and, and from message boards and community centers, and we just started getting all these amazing stories. And then I called Alan and I called Camille and Emily and said, would you guys want to be involved with the show? And they all said yes, and I was saying this earlier, but the uh, you never get your first choice, I've, at least my experience. Maybe I just choose the wrong projects, but uh, <laughs> I feel like every single time that I ask someone to do something, I get someone kind of in the top five, but I never get the, my, 
my top folks. I will also say that people always say that. People are, no one's ever like, you were the third choice. But hey, pretty decent job. We're revealing we never that now. Know. We don't trust you. Aziz passed, didn't he? Aziz did pass. <laughs> Aziz did pass. But Aziz was going to be another producer. He was not going to be in re as a replacement. Aziz didn't pass. Aziz just never, he, he never called me back. And then he, then he later just texted like, you back now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's he like, man, the show, yeah, the show like, came uh, out really good. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I saw it on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it too late to attach my name? No, he's like, I'm still involved, right? Because you emailed me? Yeah. Um, hey, man. But I, I, I mean, so I think that the, I think that the reason, I, I don't know, like to me, I love stories and I love uh, storytelling. And I think that they're, I think that audiences are becoming more sophisticated. And I think the people creating shows have done some really ambitious things. And I think Master of None is an example of it. I think Atlanta is an example of it. And I think that I, these were stories that hadn't been told yet. And that was, that's what was most exciting to me. Um, show, yeah. You mentioned Master of None. So Alan, Mr. Master of None. Um, I, there is a direct through line from your work to this project. How early did you come on board? Did it take any convincing? Was there an elevator pitch that sold you? Or did he have you at little he really take you to dinner yeah you did take me to dinner but you actually you know i was pretty where did you guys go yeah. uh, you guys were purposely excluded <laughs> we that's a way all. better restaurant than you took restaurant. us to I, I, aziz did pass didn't he <laughs> you know when i first said yes you first congratulated me on master of none <laughs> i loved you in 30 minutes or less <laughs> yeah i mean i i remember where i was when i got the phone call from lee i was you know i was in a car on the way back from the airport and okay. he he essentially told me, you know, kind of the inspiration for it and, and said, basically, look, anthology series, every episode is a different immigrant story. And it's such a clear, concise, you know, really evocative pitch immediately had a million ideas. And um, I thought it could be really, really, really interesting to do. And what he didn't even know was we had just finished shooting the second season of Master of None. And I had directed an episode of that show called New York, I Love You, which follows a bunch of different characters who aren't in the main cast and just shows these slices of life and vignettes from their lives. So it's three interconnected stories in New York City. And so it was almost like a proof of concept for this show. And tonally, and I thought spiritually, had something to do with what Lee was talking about. So, you know, eventually we showed him that episode and um, it kind of started from there. Um, the episode of Master and None, one of my favorites of a remarkable series, is um, your, this based on your father's immigrant journey. And it feels like it could perfectly just seamlessly move into this uh, this project did you did you jump at this because it also gave you an opportunity to explore things that you'd already tackled in your previous work I think yes I think it was basically it's it's all sort of evolved really naturally for me and you know we were talking about this backstage but it it basically my work has gotten a lot more personal over time and, and things I've worked on and you know I just helped out on this one but the writers and directors of this show have really carried that through line in an interesting way and 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 done things that are personal to their lives. And so these stories are all so different from each other in terms of setting and character and even tone. But somehow when you watch them as a whole, they come together and they cohere and it feels like thematically they're of a piece. And I thought that was a really tremendous thing that, that happened with the series. Kamel and Emily, one of the things that I love about this series is that um, the immigrant stories are so nuanced and it quickly highlights the idea that 
immigrants are not a monolith. So often we get one or two stories and they're very similar in tone and very similar in spirit, but each episode couldn't be more different from the other. They feel as unique as fingerprints. Was that a happy accident or was there a commitment early on to making that the case? It was very intentional. We, um, we from the beginning, wanted to make sure we had a variety of countries that the subjects were coming from, a variety of places in America they were going to, because so often you just see stories in New York or LA. Um, and we also wanted a variety of tones. We didn't want any one episode to feel uh, like the other. We wanted some to be funny, some to be serious, some to be romantic, uh, some to be sad. That was really the main thing was that we were looking for, like, as you said, the immigrant story is not a monolith, so we were trying to find just as much of a variety as we possibly could. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I am an immigrant myself, and you are? my experience. Yeah, <laughs> this is not a speech impediment. <laughs> <laughs> and like a great tan. <laughs> great tan. Um, not as great as mine, but close. <laughs> no doubt. Um, I felt, obviously, my experience was very different from the kinds of experiences I'd generally seen portrayed. You know, I feel like no matter what side of the immigration debate you're on in America, when you hear the word immigrant, I think people get sort of the same image in their head. And it was exciting. What is that image? Uh, don't want to go there. <laughs> I mean, this is, well, there are two stories, I feel like. There's either the story of the, like, noble struggle. Right. Always struggle, always strife. Right. Or the exceptional immigrant. Or the evil immigrant. I think that, that we and see the that. And story is the evil immigrant. Yeah, we see that a lot. And I feel like in the news, you know, portrayed a certain way. But my experience was very different from everybody else's experience. I want to say, I have three friends from high school here who, two of them I have not seen since high school in Karachi. Karachi and all their stories are different from mine. Wow. And, um, Wait, so. can, you, uh, can you wave your hands? Let's give yeah, them a shout out. One oh, of them, wow. I want to say one of them is a cardiologist, so some stereotypes are true. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very excited to see them. Uh, thank you for coming, guys. Um, this yeah. is how you're seeing Camille. You're actually not going to interact with Oh, them. he's this not going to talk yeah. to them. No, I'm sorry. You guys, this is all you're getting. Thanks for flying over, guys. <laughs> really great catching up. <laughs> When's your flight back? Shouldn't you... Are they really your friends, or did you hire extras for this moment? <laughs> <laughs> I would not put it past him. Yeah. He didn't answer that question. He just laughed. Do you think it's going to be hard for me to find brown people in New York? <laughs> This side of town, maybe. But <laughs> tough crowd. All right, I'll leave the jokes to them. <laughs> Moving right along, <laughs> Joshua Lee mentioned that the stories came from your magazine, Epic, which you co-founded. Can you talk to me about how you went about sourcing these stories? They're all so unique. And also, Lee, how did you? Well, the team. How did you go about narrowing it down to these eight that would be? featured in the inaugural season? Uh, sure, yeah. We um, we have a lot of writers and researchers on staff, and then I'm a journalist and also working at adapting stories into film and TV, so I also know a lot of people in journalism. So we put together a bunch of freelancers and staffers and canvassed, you know, through a really wide line out in the country to find as many stories as we could. As Lee mentioned, we would go on community message boards or look in foreign language newspapers or local newspapers in cities that had, you know, like the Minneapolis Star Tribune, where there's a little Mogadishu, right? And you look for stories in those types of papers. Um, and also just, you know, asking friends, you know, friends of friends. Actually, there's a couple of stories that are 
One of them is the uh, Igwe, the one that you, the Nigerian cowboy, who we see there. That was one of our staff's uh, friend's father. And there's another one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> either likes Nigerians or cowboys, and I'm very happy or fathers. with those. Or, <laughs> or fathers. Staff. Or friends. Or friends. Or staffers. <laughs> you know, a lot of options there. <laughs> and another one is... Uh, my girlfriend's friend's mother, Sylvianne, the one, that, the silent retreat. I don't oh, know if you've yes, seen that one yet. Yes. And so they kind of came from all over the place, and we had probably 150 leads at the beginning. Really? And then we started kind of like sorting through and winnowing down, and we did about 75 interviews, the kind of first blush interviews. And then we got down to like 40 kind of in-depth interviews and had some copy to look at. And then I was sharing with all these guys as we were all, by that time, we were all in it and looking at the stories and trying to sort of curate, as Emily was talking about, trying to have a very wide range, because the whole idea of the show obviously is to sort of like, you know, like, like show the range and the sort of mosaic portrait of, right. you know, immigrants in America and thereby sort of America itself. And so we wanted to have people that came here as refugees or to study or came have just arrived or have been here for 30 years and people have been all you know shadi's in uh, rafiq we changed the name so i always get you know mix up the names rafiq is in idaho and so we wanted to have people from all over and here for all different kind of reasons and then we went we published about 15 stories and then we winnowed that down when we went to Apple with the eight that we... And when is the book coming out? Oh, yeah. Now, because there's so many of these stories, <laughs> like, as it's kind of like the idea is, you know, sort of never ending, um, we are putting out a companion book to go along with the show that has 40 more stories, all different new set of immigrant stories. Or just photos, too. Yes. And Kamel wrote the introduction, and uh, then we're using some of those stories for season two, which we're already uh, in the works on. So don't read it if you don't want spoilers, but read it because it's great. <laughs> So there will be a season two. Yes. Yeah, we are. Yeah. We are. Yeah. <laughs> it's two. being made. And hopefully a season three if we tune into Apple TV Plus. Yeah, if you guys have bought an Apple product in the last year, you get a free year of Apple TV Plus. Wow. They're not really talking about that as much as they should be, so yeah. we're telling everyone. You get it for free. <laughs> we're the street we team them, for Apple. <laughs> I'm doing this for a computer. I'm kidding. Um, oh, we haven't gotten a computer. Good luck. You haven't been showered with swag yet? We did not get we a got a t-shirt. Okay. All right. We'll work on that. Hey, but Lee, back to you. <laughs> you know, obviously so many people involved have a strong comedic background, yourself included. I was surprised to discover just how poignant each of these episodes are. I mean, I sobbed through a number of them. Waterproof Mascara was my friend. Again, was that a happy accident or did you expect it to be that poignant going into this project? Did you we, know it was gonna tug at the heartstrings in that way? We wrote the show like a straight comedy and then this is what resulted. <laughs> no, uh, we, you know, as we got into the stories, I mean, I think all of us, the, there was source material, and so within the source material, there was a lot of comedy, and there was and there was a lot of heart, and there was a lot of tragedy. It really depended on on which, on which episode, and I think for all of them, as much as we could, we wanted all of those things. Right. And so, I don't think that there's a straight comedy episode, in, in, but in the same way that I don't think anyone's life is just purely comedic. Right. And so when you're kind of you know these are all slices of life. And, you know, some of them take place over the course of 10 years, like the Indian episode. And then we do this one at a silent retreat, which takes place over the course of 10 days. And so it's just, we're just trying to create the story the way that we felt it was best, best to be told. 
And again, with all of them, it wasn't, we, ne we never kind of set out and said, oh, well, if we put this song in, then that's really gonna tug at the heartstrings and we need a, a cry moment here and a laugh here. It was just, as we laid it out, we wanted all of those things in, in all of them. And I think if you're doing a good job, Lee was saying this earlier today, the story sort of goes where it wants to go. Right. And at the end, you, you work out so many different versions of it, so many things, and then the one you land on turns out to be the only one that could have been possible, you know? And that's sort of hap what happened here. For instance, the you were saying there's the Kabir episode, which is the Indian episode, his parents, he's that's a 12-year-old kid. That's the first episode of the Yeah, the he's series. a 12-year-old kid, his parents get deported, and he has to run a motel on his own. We thought, oh, that's a really funny Home Alone story, that'll be wacky. But then if you really dig into a 12-year-old without his parents having to run a motel, it's very scary and it's very, very sad. Mm -hmm. So us doing a comedy, full comedy version of that would have been disingenuous, would not have uh, honored the story that we were telling. So, so we, each story sort of dictated what it was going to be. Uh, one of the things that I love the most about the current episode that we just watched, The Sun, is that it juggles so many different genre, genres in 34 minutes. It's a coming-of-age tale. It's a coming-out story. It's a bromance buddy flick. It's a thriller. It's a love letter to Kelly Clark. I mean, <laughs> well, we conceived it firstly as a love letter to Kelly Clarkson. Okay. And it came and worked backwards from and there. It worked backwards from there. We're sorry right. if you've seen the story before. I mean, it's just like. <laughs> story off told, yes. <laughs> the leads are incredible. How did you go about finding them? I know that you were very intentional, intentional excuse me, about who you cast, how you went about casting them. How did you find those two leads, one? And just walk me through the casting process for each of these episodes. Uh, well, I actually think a lot of, uh, a few of our uh, casting uh, directors and associates are in the audience, so they did an incredible they did an amazing job. job. Great Truly. work, great, great work. I have no idea how they pulled it off. But I think what we found is there are just, um, there are just incredible actors that hadn't gotten shots before, and the uh, Haas, who is the star of the Sun, Rafiq. the one that you just Rafik, uh, he was the terrorist in season one of Jack Ryan, oh. and uh, oh. uh, Sean Tube, who plays uh, Faraz, who's in I think episode uh, I don't know the Rock episode seven, episode seven, in episode seven. Uh, he was the terrorist in uh, in Homeland for several seasons, <laughs> and he also he was a super terrorist. But on the other side, he did help Tony Stark make the Iron Man suit in a cave <laughs> in the first Iron Man movie. Okay. So okay. you know, both sides of the line. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I think so. You know, when you talk to these actors, th those are the roles that they got offered, and you know, they need to work, and it's fine. But it was the first time. I think somebody said that uh, it was the first time that they had walked. Uh, with a, uh, a a bag of groceries that didn't have a bomb in it, wow. and and so you just you, you hear these things and it's like, oh, they're you know they're playing these roles that are not three dimensionalized. I mean, I, I love Homeland and I love Jack Ryan, um, but um, just you know I want to make that clear. But uh, <laughs> but you know I think in those things it's you know th those th those stories are very procedural, and so you're not really getting that much into the characters of it. And uh, Confidants, the actor who played the Nigerian cowboy, I don't think it ever used his actual accent before. And so for every single one of the stories, the actors had never gotten that shot. And on so many shows, you know, there's a call sheet and at the top of the call sheet is the person who was in the most scenes and maybe the most famous person. It's a white guy named Chris. Right. <laughs> it's always a white guy named Chris. Except with us. <laughs> and no, and, and then, you know, and we flipped it. And so the, the, these people that would so often have these three line roles or play a taxi driver or work at a convenience store are now the stars of the shows. And... You have Tom McCarthy in three scenes or, you know, 
character, white character actors. I think specifically for that episode, being able to play uh, queer actors, being able to play queer characters, uh, it was very important uh, to those actors. Uh, was very important to those actors. I think that the experience of kind of creating that show was, uh, I think, very powerful for everyone involved. And we should say the uh, the writers of that episode are Stephen Dunn and Amru Al Qadi, and the director Stephen Dunn directed that episode, and they all really, really poured themselves into it. Yeah, and Ha Sliman and Adam Ali, who play Zen and uh, Rafiq, were they just really all were so passionate about this story, and they really poured themselves into it, and you can really feel that when you watch it, I think. And, the, and there's an interesting thing where Adam, who plays uh, Sam Zane, sorry, I've got the real names again. Um, it was not out yet, right, when he uh, uh, acted in the show. And so, but Haas was, and so that was very inspirational for him and gave him some of the courage to, to take that path himself. I mean, so this like wound up being like personally meaningful for the people participating in the show, sort of at every level like that. And then at the premiere, it was pretty incredible to see Shadi meet Haas. The real, the, the, the real, the, the, real. the real yeah. subject, meet the guy who was portraying him on screen. And, this, and he had brought his husband, who he met at the at the bar, yeah. and that was very sort of moving and emotional, sort of like all the way up the chain of this whole process. And then the next night I went to a drag show with Amru and Steven, myself. <laughs> that was also great. And that was personally rewarding as that well. Was wonderful for me. <laughs> I'm waiting for that episode. Um, Shadi has talked about uh, how emotional this entire process has been for him. He never thought that he would, one, be able to live this freely, and he also never could have imagined seeing his story on the big screen like this, that must be incredibly rewarding for all of you to know that you have touched this individual in that way and that these stories are having that type of impact. I mean, it's great, but I don't want to take credit, you know? I mean, these guys, Shadi's story was so, so great and it's, there's so much bravery in it. And then the, the, the everyone who was involved with that episode who wrote it and directed and, and acted in it were... You know, it, we just sort of created a space where they could do that, so I don't want to... We midwife. Lee, it. do you want to take credit? I, well, I was, yeah, maybe a little credit. Um, Lee's like, I was in the editing room. I did yeah. some editing. It was, yeah. I have some, no, um, I, I completely agree with Camille. And I, we were so, I, I'll speak for myself. I was so nervous knowing that the subjects were going to see their episodes and that, you know, it's, it's an overwhelming experience. I mean, particularly for that episode, right. what he went through is so traumatic and to honor it, was really important to us, and we flew. We, uh, someone from Epic was it Mac? Yeah. Mac? yeah so one of <clears throat> someone from Epic, who was one of our researchers, um, flew out to Idaho, and sat there. It was also there's a lot of security with Apple, and so we had to make sure that the show hadn't come out yet. So we had to we had to bring we had to bring the episode, and he so it was like a mission. It was like a cloak and dagger operation. <laughs> yeah, and so but anyway, so they watched the episode together, and he said, "I've never seen anyone who looks like me mm. on screen before." And I think that that is, that, I mean, yeah. I think when we set out to do the show, I don't know that that was what we were thinking exactly, but the fact that we were able to do that and that that affected him so much, uh, and for other queer Muslims out there that are watching the show and seeing that, I think that, I think so many people, the, the, the individual episodes are resonating for them because they haven't seen versions of themselves on TV, and I think for that one in particular, 
it's even that much more profound. But it's also exciting to see people who are watching characters who are not like themselves, who are not from the parts of the world that they're from, who don't sound like they do, and really, really connecting to them. You know, I see people from all over the world, more than anything I've ever been involved with, talking about these episodes. I see people talking about these episodes on Twitter in different languages. People reach out to me and tell me uh, how much how much they connected with the show. And it's 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 kind of it's interesting. Obviously, it's very good to, for people to see themselves reflected on screen. But I also think people need to realize that watching people stories from other perspectives mm -hmm. is exciting. It's interesting. We've seen perspectives from stories from the same perspective so many times that seeing someone from a different part of the world connecting with them, uh, it's it's just like it's more it's, it's magic. It's entertaining. Yeah. I think. I mean, we are living in a time where. Movies like The Big Sick, Master of None, The Farewell, Parasite are all gaining this level of visibility that they may not have even had a decade ago because I think our world is more open to the idea of these nuanced, individualized stories coming from That's regions so. that they may not have yeah. otherwise acknowledged in the past. I think it is slowly changing and... You know, it's just the beginning. That's something we keep saying. You know, if we had pitched this show 10 years ago, I'm pretty sure we walk out of there with nothing. You know, you know and I'm pretty sure they laugh us out of the room and say, come back with a white guy named Chris. But <laughs> for whatever reason, I think it's a good thing. While times do seem, you know, more difficult than ever in the country, I do think culturally there's somewhat more of an openness now and there's more of a curiosity and the audience as we mentioned is a little bit more sophisticated and open-minded and so that's an unbelievable opportunity for us to take risks and to be ambitious and to be original and really tell stories that you haven't seen you know it would be it would be nice to watch this show in a bubble but we can't ignore the world around us um and we all know that immigration is currently one of the most divisive issues in this country um my parents are from Nigeria, and uh, travel ban. We just made team travel ban. We just hey, made the welcome. travel ban list. <laughs> Congratulations! <Hey. laughs> it's a sad club to be in. Right, guys? Pakistan's not on it. No, it's not. It's not. I checked. Matter of time. <laughs> You'll get there. You'll get yeah, there. <laughs> guys, we gotta work hard. Work hard. <laughs> But did the current administration's policies in any way impact um, how you shot this show? Did it affect actors you were able to cast where you shot this show? If you could walk me through that. Joshua, you're nodding your head. Do you want to take that question? Uh, sure, yeah. I mean, um, uh, well, as we were talking about, we wanted to be very authentic to the characters in the story. So we wanted to cast queer Arabic-speaking actors for this episode in particular. This is the one where the, the impact was the biggest uh, because several of the actors were, in fact, from countries that fall under the travel ban. So we were in the middle of production. Of, we, we shot mostly in New Jersey. New Jersey subbed for all of America. Um, and, and, and all and, over the and world. Nigeria and Uganda yeah, yeah, and yeah, China. Yeah, 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 right, and all these parts <laughs> of the world. Uh, except for a cruise ship that Alan spent seven wonderful nights on. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so we're in the middle of production, then we realize, oh, we can't get the actors into the country, uh, which, of course, is because an Because Syria irony. is on the yes, travel right. ban list. And well, it wasn't just Syria. It's one of the actors Lib from Libya. And, and Libya's on and the so, list as well. And so, so, and so we had to move the production to Montreal. So wow. in order to tell a story that is legitimately celebrating, you know, America's principles, we actually couldn't shoot in America. <laughs> we had to go somewhere else. A show called Little America <laughs> yeah. was had shot to, in Montreal. Yeah. Shot for in the camera. first time, I believe, in cinematic history, we did Montreal for Boise. <laughs> no one has ever attempted that. Yeah. <laughs> but we said, let's try it. We can do this. 
and we put a Boise entering Boise sign <laughs> and call it, it a day. A postcard. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to open it up to the audience in a few minutes. But Alan, really quickly, um, almost every episode is handled by writers and directors of color. We hear often that it's so hard to find writers of color. It's so hard to find directors of color. Was that challenging for you all working on this project? I think you got to put in the effort, you know, and you just got to put in the effort. And we were able to really work with some really tremendous talents. And, you know, as you mentioned, oftentimes we would pair with a writer or director who had some sort of relationship or some sort of, you know, you know, knowledge about the country of origin. And, you know, the more we thought about it, that's really important to us. But we also don't want to pigeonhole and we don't want to be didactic with it. So, um, you know, for season two, we're going to strive to do something similar, but we'll also be open minded. You know, if there's an episode that happens to be about baseball and there's a writer or director who's passionate about baseball, we're not going to make them do an episode about their country. You know, it's it's we want to be open minded. So um, authenticity is really important for us, but it's also important to you know find the right fit for the right person and that may have to do with their style that may have to do with their writing ability that might have to do with so many different things and so i think the lesson is as with the casting you got to put the legwork in you got to put the legwork in and you got to cast a wide net and pun intended you really um some of these actors from uganda and from nigeria and, and the chinese american actors we saw there's just really a tremendous amount of talent out there and it's waiting to be discovered because they haven't been the leads and so honestly like it's good for them to also get exposed and, and get the reps in. i think that's really important as well um do we have audience questions well, I'll keep Camille's friends certainly want to talk to them. <laughs> Is that how you're going to hang out with them? <laughs> um, do we? There's somebody raising their hand. Is that how? how, how is that how it works? Or Is that protocol? Okay. No cards. While oh, somebody's okay. trying to come out. No cards. No okay. cards. While we figure that out. I have dozens of more questions. Wow. Yours. Here we go. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Really quickly, before we get to that, I wanted to talk about episode seven, Kamel, Emily, and Lee. It has to, to me, it's one of the funniest of the series. And it's based on a character named Faraz, who is a, the definition of a dreamer and a hustler. He sells quail eggs. And a hustler. And a <laughs> And according to his business card, he's also a beekeeper, a pistachio farmer, and a roller skating instructor. And he's also a parking attendant. All those things are true of the correct. guy that it's based on, by the Is way. Is that correct? We actually had to take some stuff out because it was too great. He felt too crazy. He's, he's like really crazy. into hang gliding. Yeah. So he came, to, I was shooting a movie and he came to set to check me out and make sure I was a legitimate director. And so he met with me and then all he wanted to talk about was hang gliding because that was his hobby. He was really the Thermals. In yeah. He we wanted took, to talk about thermals. Yeah. We talked, we and Josh <laughs> sat down with him and talked about hang gliding for like an hour. And that was so interesting, but it was almost too crazy. <laughs> we had to take it out of the episode. The idea that a guy who has a massive rock on his property that he can't seem to best can also hang glide over the property to get a look at it, an eagle-eyed look at it, is too written. You can't put it in. <laughs> Seemed like a literary flourish. It's too much. It's true. And, and the rock being a, a metaphor for the immigrant experience also, yes, yes, very much so. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's a moment when... Um, Faraz is speaking with a well-meaning real estate agent, and she sort of seems to suggest that he emigrated to this country because he was fleeing a horrible life. And he stops her in her tracks and says, I had a good life in Iran, a great life. Please don't feel sorry for me. I burst into tears during that moment because there is an assumption that 
every immigrant that comes to this country is fleeing some war-torn, war-ravaged place. And while that is indeed the case for some people, some people had marvelous lives wow. that they left. And they just, my parents came here in the 70s to get an education. A military dictator happened to take over while they were getting their MBAs, then that happens, but... It does happen. They does were happen. very happy in Nigeria. Um, Camille, yeah. can you talk to me? I mean, you are you had a great life in Pakistan, I'm assuming, before you came here. Yeah, And I you did. came here for school. Yeah, I came here for school. I feel like there is that narrative, you know, where, oh, they're all escaping to come to America. Streets are paved with gold and rivers of milk and honey and all that. But, you know, I, I've been to Iran. I don't know if anybody's been to Iran. It's a beautiful country. Like, the mountains are gorgeous. Obviously, it's a complicated place, but you never see the parts of Iran that are, like, objectively gorgeous. Um, and so we wanted to show, and, you know, we just wanted to show that um, we were going to try and show an immigrant experience that we hadn't seen in American pop culture or the news. What were your initial impressions of America when you first arrived here? Well, I... Went to Iowa, so I thought there were a lot less buildings than I expected. Because <laughs> okay. I had seen, like, movies set in New York, and I was like, all right, here we go, skyscrapers. And then it was just, like, <laughs> pigs and corn. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> corn I like. Pigs? <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> no. um, the Nigerian Cowboy episode, one of the... Uh, it, it's a brilliant episode. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the best moments to me is when he's talking about the plethora of hamburgers that yeah. Yeah. we have in America. <laughs> and all the toppings. And all the toppings. It's like, why would you want to make meat wet with ketchup and mustard when you don't have to do that? And it just it reminded me, I dated a guy from Cameroon years ago, and he was struck by how large our supermarkets were here and how we had entire aisles dedicated to cereal. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was in Pakistan, maybe things are different now, but when you went to get bread, there were like two brands of bread and they each had like two kinds. There was a white one and a brown one and that was it. And then you come here and you see like, there's so much different bread. What a fucking waste. <laughs> Nobody's buying all that bread. Potato say, bread? As How do they make bread out of potatoes? <laughs> You've eaten it. I have a huge stand-up bit on this. Yeah. <laughs> you, have a, you have a whole special about that. It's, it's based on potato bread. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's not his best work, if I'm being completely honest. But I really give it my all. <laughs> okay. Uh, one question from the audience is, the show is amazing. Whoops, hold on. And why did you choose to have it on Apple? Lee, why don't you take that? You know, we were looking, uh, we, you know, you take a pitch around and you take it everywhere and you try to find the right home for it. And I think what happened with Apple was they leaned in and they kind of got it. You know, it's a, the show had no stars in it and uh, it's expensive to do a show where there are no sets that repeat, where there's no actors that repeat. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's a logistical challenge. And I think that they really leaned in and you know, we, it was a little bit of both of us going on faith. I mean, Apple, the, the TV plus didn't exist at the time. So we sold it, didn't have anything on yet. So it wasn't like, oh, well they have a brand or their TV shows or this. Right. And we just kind of felt like Apple's a worldwide brand and going back to Steve Jobs and it's like bold, everything was bold and innovative and surprising and of a certain quality. And we felt like those were the adjectives that we were using to describe our show. 
And so if we could pull it off, it, it just it felt like a felt like a good fit. And uh, to be honest, you know, we thought we had this great pitch. We had all these great stories, people who have a lot of experience. We went to a lot of places and a lot of places were still scared of doing a show like this. Really? Yes. Yeah, so we well, what was uh, what was fueling that trepidation? Oh, well, all we knew is that they didn't buy it. <laughs> well, <laughs> they didn't say. I was focusing on the po focusing on the positive guys. <laughs> Well, we I'll, got somebody to buy it. Yeah, I'll be, absolutely. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, it's, I, I feel very, very lucky that Apple said yes, but there were so many places that still seemed to be afraid of all the things that Lee yeah. was saying that we're going to have uh, actors in it who are not going to be mainstream like American blockbuster superstars. You know, we're going to like showcase people who haven't gotten their big shot yet. And I think a lot of places still did not think that, still thought of it as a niche show where I can't imagine a show that's less niche than. And, you know, eight stories, people from all over the world. I mean, that to me is the definition of like a broad appealing show. All right. Next question. <laughs> oh, why did you guys choose to show the last chapter of the series tonight? We just really love this episode. Yeah. We love all of them. I think this one... Um, We've, we saw this one, we showed this one at our premiere and I, it got a good response from an audience. So I think uh, we wanted something that we hope would make you laugh and, and also maybe make you tear up a little bit and make you get a Kelly Clarkson and song I stuck in your head. And I honestly think you can watch the show in any order. You know? That's very true. Yeah, we spent a long time ordering it yeah, for Apple and time. kind of, the, you know, it's like a playlist. And then we found that people are just not paying attention to our playlist and <laughs> doing what they want. And it realized that we probably could have have another hour of our life back that we spent carefully. I was more than around. an hour. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really argued over the order of these yeah. episodes. <laughs> um, how did you feel about them? How do you feel about people watching them out of order, Alan? Great. Are I you, think it's totally fine. Great. It, Who cares? You're, you're, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you'd have to unlock it like a video game level. <laughs> you should have to answer questions, <laughs> trivia questions from episode seven before you can get to episode uh, eight. Huh. I, I think what's great about the show is they're, all the episodes are so different that any two episodes make a good pairing you know and it is sort of a bingeable show you can watch two or three in a row and any order you watch them and they're so different that i think they sort of make each other a little like different themes emerge depending on how you pair things up actually unintended right it's just we planned like, all no we planned all of that yeah we actually we planned it all out but we've noticed it because at different screenings we'll kind of choose different ones to see oh how do these work together or how does this work with an audience and and so we've just been noticing as you go that you can watch any of them together two or three and they like form their own little unit we spent hours, we really did spend hours agonizing over the order. And then we were doing an interview and uh, uh, the reporter said to me, did you intentionally choose to have, uh, to, to, to have uh, young uh, uh, characters, young subjects for the first two episodes? Which was something we had never considered. <laughs> and I guess, you know, it was like a 12 year old. Uh, yeah, and then a 16 year old, yeah. yeah. A 16 year old, yeah. and it was like, fuck, <laughs> fuck. Yes, no, of course we had thought about that. Of course, you start with the Opening youth and then you youth. evolve. Oh, yes, that was the plan all along. <laughs> you made a huge mistake. Yeah. <laughs> all right, um, other than the overarching theme of immigration, is there a message that you hope all of these unique stories add up to? Now, Alan, you've been very clear about the fact that you did not want this series to feel like medicine. You did not want it to feel like an after-school special. You did not want people to feel like they were bludgeoned over the head with the idea that, Immigrants are great. So, do you want to take this question? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, the last thing we wanted to do is preach to people and especially preaching to the converted or preaching to the unconverted, because what you want to do is tell a story that people want to watch and that engages people and entertains people. So we really wanted to show three-dimensional characters, human characters, and we also didn't want to show them as saints. You know, we don't want to do the opposite and portray people as flawless human beings. We want to portray them as real human beings. And so if there is any sort of through line amongst the episodes and the stories, to me, ideally, it's that they're that they're humans, that they're that they're just really, really realized characters and that there's an empathy and a curiosity and sort of an interest in their lives. And then as if there's any sort of political byproduct of that, then that's on the eye in the eye of the beholder and, and whoever's viewing it. But I really feel like the way to do this is not to have a messagey show, it's to have a good show and a show that people watch and then we'll see where it goes from there. Emily, you're shaking your head. Are you, do you hope that this show could in any way subtly impact policy? Would that be one of the wonderful takeaways from this? <laughs> That's a tall order. That would be that would be absolutely lovely. But again, it's it's not our intention. I do think um, I think I grew up in a very homogenous small uh, town in the south, and uh, I think if you're not exposed to people different than you, you kind of you can't you otherize them because they're not in your life. And I think if they're not in your life in your day to day life, they can be in the art that you consume. They can be in the media that you consume. Um, I remember my dad, who's a 75 year old beekeeper. Amateur uh, beekeeper. He <laughs> watched Moonlight and he was like, I, I get why gay men, I get the romance. Like he like, was like, I see it being romantic for the first time. He saw gay relationship as being romantic for the first time. Wow. And I thought, wow, art did that to my dad. That's absolutely amazing. And I think, I think that's what the best thing about art is that it can help open up our minds a little bit, open up our hearts a little bit, and help us kind of empathize with uh, people we thought we wouldn't have anything in common with. And I think I was a therapist for years before this, and even if I was sitting with someone who had nothing in common with me, my job was to dig down through their experiences to find the common emotions uh, that were underneath all those experiences and connect uh, with those emotions with that person. And I think art at its best can do that. Um, Alan, we were talking backstage about a project that you're working on, and I don't want to veer too far away from the project that we're promoting this evening, but could you talk to me about this, um, the idea of leaning in to your background as opposed to running away from it? Because I, um, Again, we were talking about it backstage, and I found it really fascinating. If you could share that with the audience, I'd appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, the brief version of it is uh, I grew up in Riverside, California, which is a kind of blue-collar town um, in Southern California that is diverse but doesn't have a huge Asian-American population. So when I was growing up, when I was in junior high and high school, I did my best to fit in. You know, all the other kids were white and Latino and black, and, and I played sports and I played music. I did anything I could to fit in. And what I didn't do was speak a bunch of Mandarin or, you know, eat weird foods at school or do things that were very, very sort of emblematic of my culture. But what I realized in talking to you backstage, Lola, was there is sort of a bit of a through line in the stuff I've been working on, and this show is definitely a part of that. You know, I, it was, I started on Parks and Rec, and then Master of None was very personal, and then this show is about immigrants, and more and more I realized if you're a creator, if you're lucky enough to be a writer, director, producer, any of those things, 
what's the most valuable thing you have? It's your point of view. Mm. It's what makes your specific perspective unique and different and special and sets you apart from other people. And for me, I realized a big part of that was my heritage. And it's not everything. It doesn't define everything I do. But as I've become more comfortable with it, it's really sort of blossomed in my work. And so the, the thing you were talking about is a movie I just directed called Tiger Tail, which comes out in April on Netflix, a competing service, so Apple people don't kill me. But uh, <laughs> it, it, and, and that's the you story. You weren't supposed to mention and, Netflix. And, I'm kidding. Yeah, and, and that's the story of my father. And it's a drama, and it's a family drama. It's about my, my family and um, very much about him growing up in the 70s in Taiwan and, and coming to the Bronx. And you know, also an immigrant story. And so um, it wasn't any calculated thing on my part. It was just a very natural evolution of trying to fit in and kind of hiding who you are in some sense and then becoming more comfortable and having that be sort of your superpower and your sort of ability to express something that other people haven't so much in culture. Right. Um, another audience question. Oh, I love this one. How did you do it? How did you find the room to tell stories that have for so long been ignored? The stories of people who Hollywood have long dehumanized. I think you answered it earlier, but it's worth revisiting, and I love this question. So <laughs> I, I, I'm going to add a little bit to this question. I'm sorry, because since they answered it earlier, but was there sort of a litmus test when you were choosing these stories? Was there sort of a, you were looking for something that just made your eyebrows raise or blew your socks off? Was there something that set... Was there I sort of a, it was a checklist that was like, uh, we may have seen this story before, but whoa, a hand gliding guy who's obsessed with a, a giant rock. Now, that we haven't seen before. I was just trying to, what would I like to watch? What do I want to, and I think we all kind of, what would we want to see? And if you don't see it in front of you, you make it. So you, then you get to watch it. Although then it gets ruined because you've seen it so many times and argued over it so many times. But uh, yeah, I think that was basically it. Was what we, we wanted, wanted to watch. We wanted each story to be very different from yeah. each other. That was, so there were, when we first saw them, there were like three or four that we all immediately agreed on that has to be part of it. And then it was finding stories that are very different from the ones that we definitely are doing. Was know? there a vigorous mm -hmm. debate about which ones would make the final cut? and take me back to how vicious it got well, in that, that was, room. Well, that's what season two is for. <laughs> oh, okay. take all the ones we uh, left in, in that yeah, pile and do season two. Although I will say also about, about choosing these stories, like it was a very broad mandate. It was like immigrant stories, right? Slices of life from the lives of immigrants. Like it could be anything. And then, you know, it was sort of an obvious thing to say. Actually, the answer is like everybody has kind of a great story because when they start coming in, we're just like, that's a great story. That's a great story. That's a great story. This one, like they could all be features. They could all be their own thing. And we sort of just like realized that there were so many that we could choose from and put them together in this way. And that in itself also, the show kind of like emerged out of those stories too, like the shape and the tone of it. You're like, oh, it's right here. It's in these people's lives. Let's just do that. Well, we'd also go back and we would re-interview the subjects, uh, you know, because, you know, you're thinking, there's so many different things you're thinking about. You want to have uh, diversity across the world, you want to have diversity across uh, the United States, um, and trying to come, come, uh, trying to come up with their essence, the character, the truth. And so sometimes it's like, oh, well, that's quirky that he's a beekeeper and he's a hang glider and he's a pistachio farmer and he has a roller skating <laughs> rink. Like, that's a lot of things for a character to have. Right. But it's like, what, what, why? Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Why? 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 Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think that sometimes a lot of what we did in the writer's room, and, we, and we've been doing it for years as writers, and then going back to the subjects was almost, it was almost like therapy sessions. You're asking someone to, to you're asking them to go back to that moment and saying, how did you feel then? And you're, you start creating connections, you're asking them questions, leading them down a road so that, by the way, we weren't, we weren't trying to go, take them down the wrong road, but just trying to make the connections in their lives so that 
when you talk to the Nigerian cowboy and you want to understand what being a cowboy meant to him and how that relates to his father. And then as writers, you're like, oh, well, we better start with the scene with the father who died, but we want to see him and we want to see what that relationship is so that when he becomes a cowboy, it's not just simply a guy just deciding cowboy. Yeah, deciding to arbitrarily throw on a cowboy outfit. I mean, we wanted like emotional diversity, right? Yes. The stories are all very different. I mean, the Igwe story, in particular, the Nigerian cowboy, that one, I mean, that you talk about the hamburger speech. That was we went. We were talking to him, and I, we were on the phone with him on speakerphone. And then he he basically said that to us verbatim. And that's kind of when we were like, aha, oh, we got who this guy is. That's why it appears in the show at the moment where he's like realized his own self confidence, right, and his kind of place in the world. And because he's like, it's a perspective that you never hear. You always think about, oh, like. Americans go abroad and think the food is funny, and then he comes here and he's like, hamburgers, like, what is this? I don't even understand. Why do you put all the things on top of each other? You put it all on the plate. He had another, we didn't even get it in there. He's like, he was like, pizza, half an idea, don't get it. Like, <laughs> yeah, in New York, I think dissing on pizza is not gonna get people on your side. That's actually really funny. <laughs> what way? What's the other, other half of the idea? I'm trying to figure out what the other half of the idea is. Burgers are too much and pizza's too little. Yeah. Like I think he wants like a calzone. Oh, yeah, oh, like a, a pizza right? sandwich. A pizza, oh, yeah. pizza sandwich. Buddy, we got that. Get him on the phone. <laughs> I'm about to change his life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what can we expect from season two? And um, are you looking for a Nigerian American journalist for the writer's room? <laughs> We're Come on down. We would love to have you. <laughs> yeah, please. Uh, no, we've just... You heard her. <laughs> now, yes, what can we expect from season two? We're, we're still looking for stories. We're collecting. I mean, you know, it's great that, uh, that we got all these... Yeah, you guys have something? Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, you know, we're talking... I, I'm talking about potentially doing my dad's story... We talked to uh, Alan's mom has a story that we're talking about. We're talking about an episode. Family is going to be represented right. at some <laughs> point. <laughs> well, man, when my family runs out of stories, I'm doomed, <laughs> man. My career's over. <laughs> um, we're talking about a story that's, uh, that's set in Ellis Island in 1832. So that's uh, the thing. We're going to try to play with time a bit more. Did you know there were two. immigrants back then? <laughs> oh, um, really? <laughs> so, no, but I think we, you know, we want to be ambitious. We want to spend as much of Apple's money as possible. <laughs> and, um, and we just want to surprise. I think that the best versions of anthology series, I think you, you expect a certain quality and a certain tone. But within that, there's so much room for us to play. And so we want to play around with it. We want to, we're going to mess around a little bit with, the, with tones and with the convention so that you don't feel like every single episode is okay, it starts off in this country and then it moves here. And, you know, looking at season one, the episode you saw tonight, I think it's 97% uh, in the Syrian village in Amman and, and in uh, Damascus. And then it's Boise for a few, two scenes or right. three scenes. Um, and that's something that's exciting to us. And so there, uh, someone just pitched me a story where they don't like America. They came here and they want to go back to their country. Mm. And so it's the, it's the return. And so, you know, we don't want the stories to all feel like you come here and all your problems are America's solved. America's the answer. And we also not. don't want, a lot of the stories that we get uh, pitched are this person is the greatest X and this person is the greatest Y. And we don't want those. We don't want exceptionalism. We want the stories to feel universal. And We, we got really. a story where... Uh, the the main character just doesn't speak English very well at all, and so we were thinking, oh, would it be interesting to have an episode where 
the main character, there's, there's no English at all. And when people are speaking English, it sort of like doesn't, it sounds like the Peanuts parents. Yeah, right? like it's Charlie Brown's teacher. Right? Yes. teacher. Yeah, so like yes. playing with tonal form and thinking of there's other interesting things that we can do. Um, Emily, you were saying that one of the things that drew you to this project is just this idea that art can sort of change minds, be it, be a, a salve over an open wound, um, also inspire de debate in a way that maybe you couldn't have in a traditional conversation. Um, in season two, will you be will it have more of an overt political tone? Or are you committed to not having? politics enter into this at all? I think we're pretty committed to where okay. we are <laughs> okay. with that microphone. I, I, yeah, I think we, we want to tell good stories. Okay. That's our number one goal. We want to tell really good stories of uh, some of the amazing and less than amazing people who've come to this country. Uh, that's it. That's what we want to do. So I think uh, in its essence, it will end up being political because we are tell humanizing the stories of immigrants. But I think we just want to tell good stories. I mean, I think Telling stories itself is a political act, Correct. right? Not in the pejorative sense, like right. because it has an effect on how people view each other. We just don't want it to be polemical, right? Mm -hmm. That's really the thing. We don't. Want, if you also just like that, never works, right? If you just like march straight at an issue, wave, waving your flag, you don't convince everybody. So you, so you want to like kind of sneak around the back, <laughs> and I think that's. I mean, the show like works on that level. I was actually just reading. Just yesterday, that during the um, 30s, the Federal Writers Project had a whole program just like this with sending, you know, how they sent writers all around the country to make these like well known writers to pay people, right? It was the New Deal. And they did like, you know, travel guides, like California was like, you know, these famous writers doing it. And they also sent people to collect immigrant stories. And they put out a whole book that's called like American Immigrants, The Celebration or something. It was like, it was weird. I just saw this yesterday. It was a very similar idea. And it was also done to foster the idea of democracy. At the time, which was, you know, sort of on edge a little bit. The fascists were in Europe and there were like fascists at home and it was a whole thing. And it was like part of a program of like have dialogue and then there'd be like town halls to talk about this book and have people share. It was like, that's amazing. Very, very like incredible as a government <laughs> program and also very familiar. And if yeah. only we could do and more. They went it. and pitched it everywhere, but Apple TV Plus wasn't around. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hulu tried to buy it. <laughs> yeah, they were like, what's Hulu? <laughs> um, um, we're winding down, but uh, one question here is, why do you think immigrants have to earn the empathy of Americans? I don't think, um, I feel like this show isn't really about, I mean, everybody should have empathy. Everybody deserves empathy. Everybody deserves empathy, and I don't think the idea that immigrants need to earn empathy is, is, is correct at all. Everybody is a human being. Uh, immigrants are human beings, and I don't think they need to do anything special to be recognized as human beings and to have the empathy that every human being deserves to uh, be given. We're just shining a spotlight on stories that should have been told all along. I think you said it the other day, we're catching up. It's our job to catch up. Yeah, it's yeah. the thing we're joking about. It's just like, you know, even specifically speaking about Asian American movies and TV shows, it's like, now people are like, yeah, you happy now? There's like two of them. It's like, no, there's two. There's like a hundred years of other movies and TV shows. Like, we're just starting. Like, give us a little more time. And so this is really the beginning of that. And I feel like there are so many stories that we have yet to tell. And the show could go on for a hundred seasons and you still wouldn't have been caught up because it would be one of each, you know, it just wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be there. So, um, there's a lot more coming. Sorry, people who don't like movies about people who aren't necessarily white, handsome Chris guys. <laughs>
And on that note, <laughs> thank you all so much for being here. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank, you. thank you for having us. Thank you. That was fantastic. Thanks for listening. 92Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92y.org archives.